You're listening to E-Commerce Marketing School presented by Privy. And a big thank you to our co-sponsors of the show, Suna and Hashtag Paid. For too long, the process of finding the right influencer for your brand has been endless, mindless, soul-crushing scrolling. And then once you find the one, they don't even move the needle. Well, Hashtag Paid is putting an end to all of that. They're the first matchmaking tool for brands and creators. With Hashtag Paid, the process is three incredibly simple steps. Build your campaign, pick from 10 creators, hit the launch button, and bask in success. Hashtag Paid is basically a dating service for brands and influencers. Instead of dinner and overpriced drinks, you'll get ROI and a partner your audience trusts. Check them out at the link in the show notes. All right, everyone, welcome back. A few weeks ago, I was catching up with a friend and a former MarTech founder, Arjun Ori. And when Privy was first picking up momentum in Shopify, Arjun had an app that was enabling brands to engage their customers through Facebook Messenger. The app was called Shop Message, and he's since pivoted. He's been building FanRock, fanrock.com, check him out, which has several D2C brands that they've built to pretty massive scale. I'm sure we'll, we'll hear about some of them today. Uh, and on our Zoom, he was telling me about how they once put up a fake brand, drove a few thousand dollars worth of ads to that brand, and isolated learnings around which hooks or offers worked in order to really hone in on the messaging for their you know, eventual pet brand that they launched. I love that approach, using minimum investment to collect data to prove out a market and nail positioning before launch. So I'm here today with Arjun. We're going to chat through it. It's a play that FanRock has used time and time again when they're building out brands or launching new products. So awesome having you on the show. It's great to be here, Ben. I've always been a fan of uh, you and Privy and just um, just your whole story. So it's great to be here. And I love uh, the idea of helping new entrepreneurs because I remember when I was in that stage and oftentimes I still feel like I'm in that stage and I wish resources like this were around even back then for e-commerce. Love it. And just great to connect because it's it's been too long. So let's start off with FanRock. Like, what is it? You know, what types of brands are you building and then, you know, what sort of scale are you at for each of them? Yep. So FanRock is our collection of direct-to-consumer online brands and SaaS apps. So we've been around for about 10 years. We started in 2013, first selling print-on-demand apparel. And then we've evolved as the whole e-commerce market has evolved. And now we've built roughly 10 brands across categories like jewelry, pet care, gifting, um, more apparel, kids and baby. And uh, we're constantly, a big part of our process is data collection and launching more brands and growing our existing ones. And we've even had to sunset some brands that, you know, after a while didn't take off. We've served over 3 million customers and we've generated over $150 million in sales. And uh, the interesting thing about us is uh, we are bootstrapped and we're growing, but we've intentionally chosen to be profitable so that we can finance our own growth, even if that means we're growing slowly. I'm just like floored. I knew I knew the numbers were big, but I didn't know that you've done 150 million. I assume that's like cumulative over the history of those brands, but like that's amazing and congrats to you and the team. What a great story. Can I ask you like you've built 10 brands. What brought you here? How, like how did you and the team come together and and why did you start this in the first place? Yeah, interestingly, my co-founders and I, our founding team, we were product managers at a company called Zynga. So we were designing mobile games like Words with Friends, 
And at that time in the, um, you know, 20, 2008, 2009, all the way to 2013, social games were a huge phenomenon. And that really showed us that you could build a $100 million business on Facebook. And at that time, selling virtual goods. So, you know, we knew how to reach audiences on Facebook. We knew what made posts go viral. We understood why people like to use social media, interact with their friends, all the concepts of self-expression, of identifying with a group of people. And we thought that this seems obvious now, but at that time it was still very new. We thought, okay, let's, let's use this channel to grow e-commerce. It's fascinating. So you learned a lot. I think it actually helps that you were so data-driven early on and the gaming side and familiar with Facebook and all that. And then, you know, getting into drop shipping, I guess in a sense, like until you're developing your own supply and manufacturing your own supply, growing games and growing a print on demand business are, are not that far off. Yeah, they're very similar, in fact. Um, so one thing I will say is at that time in Silicon Valley, and especially at Zynga, it was around the time when product managers were coming from backgrounds that were not tech. So, you know, from MBA programs or from consulting or private equity, and they were applying this data-driven approach to consumer games and consumer apps and shopping. So, you know, looking at a funnel for conversion rate in a game is not too different from looking at that for e-commerce. Understanding the value uh, LTV of a customer based on the channel they're coming from um, is a concept that can be applied across so many different industries. So I would say that really helped us. And even though in, in at Zynga, we were selling virtual goods, the print-on-demand model for uh, apparel kind of allowed us the same flexibility to launch just about anything and um, not have to worry about advanced planning and keeping inventory. Yeah. And now for your brands, have you evolved out of print on demand or are you still doing that? Absolutely. I mean, we do a bit of both, but um, you know, it's very hard to be a large e-commerce brand if you're not actually taking some inventory risk. And also, nowadays, customers are demanding two-day shipping. And in order to compete with Amazon, you need to have very, very fast shipping times. And that's a really big part of uh, what customers think about your brand. Uh, we noticed that actually for our brands, the number one question people want to know is, when am I going to get my order? And to show that answer in the beginning is just, it's so valuable. It increases your conversion rate so much. The closer you can tie that experience of someone purchasing from your brand and then getting to experience your product, the better you can do. So we have a, a lot of different models, but we definitely store a lot of inventory across a lot of different warehouses in the US. And that said, we also do a bunch of, a lot of our brands are still uh, made on demand, but that's because they're the big personalization component to what we do, especially in the jewelry space. And I'll get into that. Nice. Yeah. So let's get into the data collection stuff. You, We were just chatting before and you said that most people think they, they can't start until they have a product. That's kind of like a myth that that you feel pretty passionately is not true ties together with the, the data collection. So yeah, let's let's walk through a couple examples there. Yeah, sure. So you're right about that. Most people think that they need to have a start, uh, have a product and they need to have some genius product idea before they can think about marketing. And, you know, where we like to start off with is what is the market? What are the people out there need? What do they, what is the value proposition they're looking for in a new product or an offering? And if we can get that right, then the product design gets a lot easier. The bigger question is message market fit or even channel market fit before even 
knowing what the product is. So one example I can give is when we were launching our pet care brand uh, a little more than a year ago. So one of the things we noticed, and you know, we do a lot of research on what's doing well across e-commerce, but we noticed that we were getting ads for a dog bed year after year, and it'd be a similar looking dog bed across different, but, but we see new brands start to sell this. And we'd really wanted to get into pet care because we knew this was a really large category. And we thought that a dog bed could be our hero product, basically a beachhead into this market. And that's a lot of how we suggest starting off with a new brand, starting off with one product that is the hero, and then you build around it after you find success there. So um, up until then, as you alluded to, most of our products were either made on demand or they were very small and easy to ship. So things like jewelry. So we didn't have to deal with a lot of the logistics of shipping really large, heavy things like a dog bed. And we realized that the only way to make this business work was to import a large container of dog beds so we could spread out the cost across all these beds. But it would have been a really huge bet if we just took it. And you know, even though we are entrepreneurs, we are risk averse. So we wanted as much data as possible to de-risk this investment before ordering a container and investing in our product and our packaging and our photos and the whole brand. It's brilliant. So like, what did you actually do to understand if you did have that fit in the market? Yeah, so we wanted to test out this market with as little investment as possible. So what we told our team was, we wanna launch a brand in two days. So we got a uh, we got a sample of a dog bed sent from our supplier. We took our own photos. We also got other photos from our suppliers, and we launched a new a new Shopify site and made a product page. And there was even some stock photography on there. And what we did is we started creating ads on Facebook and Instagram uh, for the various different value propositions of this dog bed. So let me just describe what this bed looks like. It really looks like a, imagine if uh, you had a shag carpet in a shape of a donut and there's a lot of different value propositions. For example, you can say it looks nice. It's like a piece of furniture. It's very soft. You can unzip it so that you can wash the outside and just throw it in the washing machine. Uh, it was a calming for dogs who would otherwise be anxious. It has enough support so that dogs who are older and might have issues with their bones or arthritis, they're not in as much pain. And Or it can come in a lot of different colors. So there's a lot of different value propositions. We want to know which of these resonated with the audience. So we created Facebook ads, each with these different value propositions. We would literally put text and overlay them across videos of a dog using this product. And then we did not actually charge customers because we do not have this product. And I'm fully aware that for this couple hundred folks who went through our funnel, they, you know, their experience was not positive because they weren't, they were not able to get the product that they purchased, but we did not charge them. And we actually directed them to a place where they could buy a similar product. We made sure that we offered five different sizes, five colors. And, you know, because we wanted to launch this so fast, we didn't even have these other colors. So we just used Photoshop to change what the color looked like for the product page. So that was what we did in terms of designing this test. So you build a site that looks and feels real you're using facebook ads to understand which of the kind of unique selling propositions sticks and then you don't charge them but like what information are you able to glean obviously from the ads 
I assume it's best click-through rates or cost per customer sort of thing like that, right? Exactly. So when we well, we actually do let customers go through the whole checkout process, even though we don't charge them, but we do know at the end what our ROAS, our return on ad spend would be. We know our cost to acquire a customer. Then you know on a creative basis, which of the creatives actually resonated with the customers that caused them to buy. And it's not just that data. We There's a lot of different ways to get data. We use a service called Enquire, which is now Faring, to have a post-purchase survey to literally just ask the customer customer, why did you buy this product? And we, we list all the value propositions and we, we learn which is the one customers actually cared about. And then also after they launched a the product, you know, there weren't that many sales, but um, there were few enough that I or someone on the team could actually call these customers right away and just talk to them. We can apologize that we don't have this product. We can redirect them somewhere else, but we can talk to them about what why did they click on this ad? What made them buy the product? And hearing those customers and getting those verbatims was immensely valuable for us. So I'm just like floored, right? I mean, this is exactly the right model for customer and product and business development, right? It's not that you manufacture a product and get, you know, a couple of shipping containers full of it and and store it here and then start to market. It's go directly to the customers, understand for as little as possible, what moves the needle? Is there room for something new here? And how could you generate sales? And I think it's just, it's so different and refreshing than than a lot of what I see out there. You know, but I, I, I do think like amongst those who know, amongst repeat entrepreneurs, like this is more common than is really talked about. And I love the fact that like, all you took was the time to build a, a new Shopify store, which by the way, you can do on a trial of Shopify and a couple thousand dollars of ads to you know get some learnings underway. And then you're doing things that don't scale. You're picking up the phone and you're calling those customers, right? Like those are three very tactical things that anyone listening could do today to understand you know, if you've got an idea, is it really worth its salt? Exactly. And ultimately, we're doing the same things that you talked about. We are ordering a big shipping container and doing a, a more thorough job of creating a brand creative and getting photo shoots done. But at least at that point, we know exactly what our margins need to look like before we can even get into this business, we know the mix of size and colors to put on this container because it's not an even distribution across all colors. And we were surprised at which colors were the top sellers. And you know, ultimately that worked because we were able to sell through all these items before the Q4 holiday season even started. And it also allowed us to expand the product catalog into other products. So not just a dog bed, but also blankets or couch covers. And we use a similar methodology, but then it just gets easier and easier because now you have a set of customers who you can ask questions to, and you're not just spending extra money to run ads for a brand that does not exist. Love it. And yeah, I mean, you want to get to the point where you're ordering a shipping container, but at the time when you were doing it, you had tremendous confidence that A, you could drive sales outside of friends and family yes. and, and all the other additional learnings you shared, like mix of size and color and the value props. Love it. So I think you have one more example of kind of collecting data pre-product, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so we've done this method of collecting data before we launch a brand for almost every everything we've done. And, you know, we have another example of where it was successful. And then also one where it was not very successful, but we still learned a lot. 
The one interesting example where it did work is we had come from selling apparel and made-on-demand t-shirts, which was a great fit for Facebook and Instagram advertising because the product was so visual. And so we wanted to get into jewelry for a lot of the same reasons, because it is very visual, it's easy to ship. And so, but we wanted to get the same feature of being able to make it on demand. So what we found was inspirational quotes from around the internet, and we put them on cuff bracelets that could be engraved on demand. And very similarly, uh, we launched a site of these and we use Photoshop to make, we just made mock-ups of what these cuff bracelets would look like as opposed to engraving them all and taking photo shoots. And then what we learned was the kind of messages that really resonated. And it was a huge surprise for us. For example, the message that really launched our business was a message that said, whenever you feel overwhelmed, remember who you are and straighten your crown, which I mean, there's so much power in that message, but it's also one that's not, it was not obvious to me because it actually means something different to everyone who hears it. Some people have a more religious connotation. Other people just like what it connotes to straighten your crown and realize that you're a queen or you can really handle this. And we realized that there's a market for gifts for daughters, or uh, as we like to talk about it, specifically jewelry that baby boomer moms like and they think is nice and they'll buy for their daughters and that their daughters will actually wear. So it's pretty specific. It's not one that people in their uh, teens or Gen Z will go buy on their own, but that they'll happily wear that resonates with their with their mothers. So that's allowed us to start a lot of different collections like uh, a guardian angel collection to remember someone you may have lost. Uh, there's a lot of gifts for friends or bachelorette parties. One of the more popular messages says sisters by heart, not sisters by blood or friends of the family you choose. And just giving someone a token of appreciation and to know that you're thinking about them was a huge market. And we would not have known that these are the messages that resonated without actually testing them before ordering a bunch of inventory. Love it. So it sounds like this is the model you use. I, I'm curious, like, A, have you done this and has it failed so you haven't launched a brand? And then B, have you done it? It's been successful, but you realize, like, you probably shouldn't pursue this any opportunity for whatever reason. Yeah. So uh, one time when uh, I'll give you an example where I would say it was successful, but we'd still like the overall brand failed. We tested and launched an idea around a bra brand. In short, uh, we use the same methodology as a dog bed. We had talked to various suppliers and we'd done a bunch of product research to try to understand what are the features of a bra that people wanted to buy. And so we tested various value propositions, like it being soft or having a front closure instead of back, that it's adjustable, it's breathable, it's stretchy, it's supportive. And through the ad research and the same methodology talking to customers who purchased a product, we found that they bought it because of the value proposition of it being a bra that provided strong lifting support without an uncomfortable underwire, and especially for larger bra sizes. That's what women wanted. And I would argue actually still want. And we we saw and we still see a huge market opportunity, but we, we realized that we are not the team to solve it. You know, out of the gate, when we launched this product and did take inventory and did brand it, we were able to get very strong 
uh, return on our ad spend. But where we were unable to move forward is in dealing with the questions and the returns and the exchanges and a lot of logistics. And there's a reason why some of the biggest clothing companies are pouring billions of dollars into R&D to solve this very problem of having a comfortable, supportive of bra. And we also learned that while data can expose a market opportunity, you really have to relate to the problem, to the customer, and you have to have the right team and you have to realize what are the logistical problems you have to solve down the line. Specifically, when it comes to buying um, bras or underwear for women, sites that do an excellent job of getting sizing right are ones that actually win because things like return rates are and exchanges is such are those percentages are so, are so much higher for this category than others. So getting those right is what makes a winning brand. And it was harder for us to relate to that issue. Yeah. Well. Arjun, just a ton of gold in today's episode. I love this concept of like channel product fit and message market fit. And how do you identify those before, you know, buying your first shipping container? It sounds like it's just been super successful approach for you and the team at Fan Rock, going from no products to uh, 10 brands and 150 million in sales. Really, really appreciate you coming on and uh, joining us on the show today. Sure. Uh, I think if people are looking for where to get this kind of data, where I would recommend now and what I knew about, what I wish I knew about years ago is um, the few places I would look is number one, Etsy. And this was a surprise for us, especially for, uh, you know, Etsy has been great for us to find personalized products that, that resonate with customers. And um, Etsy has been growing so much over the last few years. It's a way to find out what products resonate with customers. And you realize that there's a lot of customers that want these same kind of products, but maybe they're not going to go buy it on Etsy. They want to get a more branded experience and they might not want a product from an individual artisan and they want the support of a larger brand. So that is one place that I recommend looking. There's a handful of tools to go research uh, Shopify sites. Uh, one that we like is Commerce Inspector, and it just makes it so easy to go to various Shopify stores. And it's like x-ray vision. You could see the, the traffic, the best-selling products, the revenue, which products are being scaled out, what apps they're using. So are they using Privy and uh, what ads they're running? And that really simplifies this product research process. So yeah. Cool. A lot of good stuff today. Arjun Ori uh, from Fan Rock will link in the show notes and uh, appreciate all the gold. Thanks so much, Ben.